0: You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest edition of Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. i to give a bit of a heads up. I'm dealing with a bit of a head cold if I sound off. Also, it is Thanksgiving week. I'm going to be doing some extensive traveling, so while a podcast will be coming out Monday, Tuesday... And Wednesday, Uh, there won't be one on Thursday and Friday unless something big happens. It also means there will not be one next Monday as I will still be in the process of traveling back. So no Thursday, no Friday, no Monday. If something big happens, I will do an emergency podcast, uh, but it will be pretty terrible sound quality. I'm also going to give that a heads up. Without further ado, um, we'll talk about some of the news that's happened since uh, basically we'll look into Thursday Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because we had that great interview with Jeff Snyder of Locked On Dodgers, and that happened the same day that we had a pretty big free agent signing. So I didn't really get to talk about that, and the uh, the ripple down effects of that, which we saw even more of today. So we're going to talk about that, and then we'll we'll talk about some NLEs teams as possible trade partners for the Indians. You know, we had looked at the Braves and discussed why they're they're not a good fit, but uh, without further ado, Yasmani Grandal signing with the White Sox. Now this is a huge deal for a couple of reasons one he's arguably you know the number two catcher in baseball he's been uh, the height of consistency he's been really good there uh for multiple teams you know the brewers would have loved to have kept him they don't really have much uh there and the the other effect here is him signing the white Sox. of course has an effect on the uh the AL Central, um, they go out and the White Sox hit. But they also had an all-star catcher this year in James McCann. Now, let's talk about McCann a bit before we go back into Grandel. He had an unbelievable first half, a 371 on base, a 316 batting average, a 502 slugging. Um, the second half, he kind of fell apart. The, his OPS was almost 200 points lower. He came back to earth. You know, let's, let's just get right down to it and be honest. He was lucky in the first half. His bap hip in April and March and May were all north of four twenty five. In June, it came back down a bit to three forty seven and then it kind of balanced out in July. Um, he was the numbers show a lot of uh, regression to mean coming. So the White Sox being willing to move on from James McCann makes a lot of sense. you know his his prior career showed no signs of what he did in the first half of last year. Um, there was some talk that, you know, he did a lot for Lucas Giolito. Well, they kind of changed his, He, he Giolito changed a lot of his own approach and pitching and stuff like that. It wasn't just having James McCann back there. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, before this year, his highest uh, OPS was a 733. And that was a year that he only had 106 games for Detroit at age 27. Age 29, he had that amazing first half, really came back hard in that second half. And what, what's interesting now is do the do the white Sox hold on to mccann or do they look to flip him he is in a situation where he will be a free agent at the end of uh, this upcoming season Uh, so even though he was worth 3.8 war a year ago you know solid defender who also like i said had a phenomenal half of baseball he is uh because he was someone that the the tigers decided to move on from that uh it, it means that you know the Essentially, when the uh, White Sox picked him up, they got him on a two-year deal because he's arbitration eligible. He'll get a nice jump this year after that highly productive season. So, if his contract's going to go up, and you know he's not uh, he's not going to be your starter, do the White Sox look to flip him? Especially because the catching market is fast, very fast drying up. White Sox were not a team that was expected to get in on that market. Um, you know, the Brewers and the Reds were some of the top teams that had looked into catching. The Astros, or, some, or another team, the Rays, all stood out as teams who have pretty big needs at catcher. So after, you know, the number two guy in a lot of places was Travis D. I'm not going to pronounce his name. Someone tried to help me with the pronunciation online. Uh, you know, de Deand. De- uh, but Travesty, We're just going to call him that for now, okay? He he has essentially been a third catcher, an up and down guy for most of his career. A former top prospect who just it had not worked out with him. Um, he came over to the Mets as part of that uh, R. A. Dickey deal, I want to say, which also came with Noah S- uh, S- S- garden. Wow, I cannot do any pronunciation today. But that his first year, he uh, he had a 718 OPS, a 105 OPS plus, finished seventh in rookie of the year. And since then, he had been a 67 games, 75 games, 112 games, and then this year, 103 games. So he essentially had, uh, he started the year with the Mets, had a one plate appearance, uh, uh, appearance for the Dodgers, played for three teams this year before kind of settling in as Tampa's everyday starter and was... Quite good. Set a tightest career high for home runs with 16 uh, OPS plus of 107, a 782 OPS overall. The Rays were up for keeping him. Now, if you remember back to a year ago, the Rays traded Malik Smith to the um, to Seattle for Mike Zunio, who um, we all kind of thought Zunio. I mean, Zunio was a really high pick, a lot of power potential, always a good defender. Uh, Zunio appeared in 90 games. Uh, for Tampa this year, and like in Seattle, you, he he debuted at age 22, age 22, 23, eh, age 24 was terrible, but his age 25 and 26 years, you know, 113 OPS, a 125 OPS, uh, he was able to hit for power. This year he was just terrible, um, a 44 OPS plus. That's like he was he was as offensively effective as a pitcher. While posting, uh, you know, a solid uh, defensive value, he's he's always been a solid defender, but uh, yeah, it's just the power potential. Is, is I mean, plus power is there; it just went away. But he was supposed to be the starter for Tampa. They end up going with uh, with Travis D. He performs well for them. They want to bring him back. He hits free agency, and today he is the Braves are not wasting any time. Uh, two years, sixteen million. It's a, a low-cost gamble on catching, and it kind of shows, you know, I, I've been harping on how terrible the catching market is and how it's so hard to find even a halfway decent catcher that uh, when you get one, it's something you want to lock up, you want to hold on to. Um, and, you know, it, it's when I write up draft profiles, I'm always like it's it takes very little to be a starter at catcher. It, it really does. Um, if you can be a league-average bat... And an average defender, you're likely one of the top seven catchers in baseball. That's just the the truth of the position. It's it's very sparse. And the Braves did need a catcher, um, but it was not one of those positions that they were thought to be, like, chasing. So, you know, the teams that had the big needs are still out there. And the market at this point, I mean, it's very clear that Robinson uh, Chirinos is the top catcher left on the market. Uh, He, so... He's going to be 36, I believe, very in June. So you get him for part of an age 35 year into age 36. Remarkably effective, though. I mean, he's one of those guys, a late bloomer, had his first touch of, eight, of the majors at age 27 in 2011, got back for a few games and at age 29, 2013. Then after that, he started to get opportunities. Texas, 93 games. Texas, uh, 78, 57, 88. Like, he was... Performing though, like solid um, uh, on base percentage or not necessarily on base percentage, he's always had some power and his OPS is were always solid. So he had offensive production this year. He was again, you know, that league average bat with league average defense, maybe above league average defense, like above average defense, league average bat, incredibly productive. Again, his age is why some people are going to go for you know. Uh, Travis D over him and why he was kind of ranked as the third catcher on the market. He is an everyday starter. I'll be curious to see what he gets, if the Astros are going to step up, if they're going to try to trade for a catcher. You know, it, you know, in, in season, they traded for Martin uh, Maldonado, giving up Tony Kemp, who we talked about before. Maldonado is a gold glove winner, good defender, pretty terrible offensively. But I mean, he is honestly, you could make a strong case that Martin Maldonado is the second best catcher left in free agency right now. The other guys you're really looking at, Jan Gomes, who, if you didn't look at what happened, solid production. I mean, I don't know if I want to say solid. He was okay. It was an okay bat over, you know, he played in 97 games. He really platooned for them. But, I mean, Gomes can still play. Um, He should get a chance somewhere uh, as a, you know, kind of maybe similar to the situation last year where him and Kurt, Kurt Suzuki were part of a tandem. I mentioned Maldonado, solid defender, not going to give you anything offensively. And then Jason Castro, who was the, you know, former All-Star a very long time ago. Good pitch framer, a good handler of of pitchers. But, you know, Minnesota signed him a few years ago to that contract. Year one, he did exactly what they expected him to do, appeared in 110 games. 2018 was only in 19 games, and this year Mitch Garver kind of took the position, though he was, again, a solid performer. So I could see the case where Castro's the number two guy, Maldonado is number three, and Gomes is kind of four. Again, the problem is Tampa's got a gaping hole at catcher. Milwaukee's got a gaping hole at catcher. And Cincinnati, you know, really wanted to replace uh, Barnhart, it seemed, and that's just not going to happen now. So uh, I guess Tucker Barnhart's their catcher, and they hope that uh, Tyler Stevenson, who, you know, uh, catchers take a while to develop. That's a slow process. It's almost never a straight line with catching. It takes even longer than it does with pitching. Stevenson looked like a lost prospect for a time and has rebounded and might be the number two, number three guy in terms of prospects in Cincinnati system. Uh, he should start the year in Double A. But, I mean, at this point, if you are Cincinnati, what Tark- Tucker Barnhart can do is going to be very similar to what a Jan Gomes does to what a Maldonado or Castro does. So they're kind of stuck. They wanted to catch her. That isn't happening. So you ride with Barnhart. You see if he can basically hold it down until Stevenson's ready. Talk is the Reds are going to shift to Wheeler. We've seen a lot of teams kind of chasing Wheeler. It is interesting just from the perspective of it's what I talked about. It's a lot of teams who are like, okay, we can't get the big names. Let's shift to that second tier and see if we can get these guys quickly. But yeah, that's what we saw in terms of the, uh, the market and kind of the breaking news. We have a quick sponsor break today from Away. Uh, Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. From a 20, For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on. You're going to use the promo code locked on during checkout. Listening on the go, if you can't visit Away right now, you can find this and all of our other offers from Locked On Sports at locked on podcasts backslash offers. So that is Away, and they are helping sponsor the show. So go check them out. So let's continue diving through those East teams, seeing if there's teams that make fits as trade candidates for the Indians. We've talked about the Braves. Let's start at the other end and talk about the Miami Marlins. I'm just going to start off with the fact I don't see a great fit here, and I'll tell you why uh, in a second. But let's talk about Brian Anderson would be a great asset for the Indians to acquire. He could play third base. He could play outfield. That means that he could hold down the infield position until Nolan Jones is ready, and then you can simply move him to the outfield. He is an above-average bat, an above-average defender, does a bit of everything. Maybe doesn't blow your mind away, but when you go and you look at at his numbers, you see 33 doubles and 20 home runs. But remember, it's only in 126 games. So he was a highly productive guy. He'd be an ideal candidate. It's probably not going to happen because the talk is that the Marlins are— going to sign probably somebody like Nick Castellanos to a deal larger than he deserves. Um, maybe they try to bring back Marcela Marcel Suna. The thought process is that they're going to dive into free agency. Now, their upper minors, it really hasn't worked out well for them. Uh, they've gotten... You look back to something like that Christian Yelich deal, like Indians fans occasionally get mad when uh, the Indians, you know, make a trade and it doesn't work out. But... Uh, it's hard to find a worse deal in terms of not working out than the Christian Yelich deal, where I mean, Monty Harrison is still there and he can maybe turn into something. But Lewis Brinson has turned into exactly—if you look at everything I've written up about Lewis Brinson for his entire career, when he was first traded for Luke Roy back when I was still at Scout before when Scout existed, um, when I wrote up about him when I was writing up the top one hundred prospects. I always talked about he's a tools over performance guy, and I want nothing to do with those types. And he has struggled something massively in the majors. Uh, Monty Harrison, his rate data was always kind of terrifying. I did like getting Jesus Sanchez on the cheap. I've always been a fan of his. I Was kind of surprised he wasn't as costly. Sixto Sanchez, you're hoping we'll get a chance soon. Jazz Chisholm, they had to add to their forty man. They've got the Miners is in better shape than it's been in a long time. But if the Indians are going out there to make a move, they don't want unproven talent. And it doesn't seem like Miami is really up for um, flipping their proven guys. They're trying to go out and add to this team. Uh, they could use three outfielders. I mean, Curtis Granderson was a great player, but that time is kind of come and gone. In the extended look last year, he couldn't even hit his weight. Same with Brinson. Harold uh, Ramirez bounced around for a few times as a, as a prospect, but finally kind of got out there and performed uh, okay given the opportunity really it was brian anderson and garrett cooper were the guys kind of uh holding down the position jorge alfaro was was all right um but yeah they just don't have a lot of pieces to trade they don't have a lot of depth they don't have a lot of value um it's one of the least talented rosters in baseball and yeah i just if they're gonna go out and buy free agents they're not gonna trade away their talent so the marlins are kind of We looked at the Marlins. You can toss them to the side. The Mets will save for like an entire show in and of themselves because we've talked about how much I love the Mets. Uh, The Phillies are another team that, uh, you know, very interesting, as are the Nationals. We're going to stick with the Phillies here because I think the Nationals are a team I want to also save for an in depth look because there's so much going on with them. So the Philadelphia Phillies have. Use their minor leagues. They've tried to develop talent, but they've also used a lot of their minor league talent to trade for talent. Their drafting has left a lot to be desired. Um, Matt Klintak could be someone who's starting to feel a bit of a hot seat because he had a lot of high picks and not a lot to show for it. Um, and on top of having all those high picks and not much to show for it, they've gone out and made very aggressive trades to add um, talent and they've signed big name free agents. And they're still, you know, second from the bottom in their division. It was it was not the outcome I think anyone hoped for. Uh, as a team, I mean, they're, they're set at catcher, which is a hard position to nail down. Right field, center field, left field with the uh, healthy Andrew McCutcheon. I think McCutcheon played a little over his head last year, but he should still be at least a league average bat. Uh, went out and got Juan Segura, who had some regression issues. Cesar Hernandez. But you got ha- ha- Hoskins at first, who also kind of he was more of what people i think most people expected him to be like when he first came up it's the same thing a lot of guys can catch fire when they come up and they kind of normalize and then people view him as disappointments when they should just realize that that's closer to the actual outcome uh this is a team that went out and trade for jay bruce and Corey dickerson to help their outfield issues part of that was due to the mccutcheon injury um you still got Herrera there, who has gotten worse every single year since he was a great Rule 5 get. And then he's got the the off-the-field stuff. I was kind of surprised they kept him, though he is a cheap contract. Adam Hazley is pretty much ready to go. We'll see what he can do Um, pitching-wise. Aaron Nola had a a bit of a rough year before rebounding. Zach Eflin looked good. Jake Arrieta didn't. Um, Vince uh, Velasquez is just kind of been consistently inconsistent they could use a starter they could use bullpen help um they could use a lot this is not a team that to me looks ready to contend and then when you go over and you're like well what do they have in the minors is someone gonna come through and help them soon do they have a you know who's it's alec bomb is the big prospect and he's you know still I, I i'm a big fan of his but outside of him is there really anyone else that is um getting you excited Spencer Howard had a good year. I think he's a little bit overrated. I really like their draft pick, Brace and Stop, but he's a long time away. Uh, Medina, the one pitcher, had kind of a down year. And then, I mean, after that, it was just a lot of guys who kind of struggled. It's there isn't a lot in that system. So in terms of the Indians and the Phillies as a fit for a trade, Philadelphia always comes up because, you know, they have they're trying to win and they have very obvious needs. The problem is they don't really have assets to trade nor do they have depth this isn't a team that you look at and you're like oh well they really have like four or five good outfielders they can move on from one i mean their are kind of side outfielder was nick williams who massively struggled last year to the tune of a 442 ops uh brad miller got 66 games for them and 130 plate appearances after the indians let him go um, Sean Rodriguez, at the age of 34, has been around forever. Got time there. Uh, Logan Morrison made an appearance. Yeah, they there's no depth. They have pretty big needs. Their lineup is probably setish. You know, maybe they try to add another outfielder or re-sign Corey Dickerson. But you know, this is a team that should probably chase a top-end starter. They could use another infield bat. They could use some bullpen help, but they don't have that depth that makes sense as a trade with the Indians. So this is a long way of saying the Phillies and the Indians don't make any sense. The Phillies might make some sense to a team that wants to go out there and try to, um, you know, uh, like Baltimore. Jonathan Villar is someone we'll eventually talk about on the show. And if you can flip a player for, you know, someone like Howard, Howard's probably too much, but maybe like Adonis Medina, who's that pitcher who's seen his value kind of slide a bit, then that makes sense. But the, the again, the Phillies' lack of overall depth makes them a hard fit for the Indians because basically what, what the Indians need to do is either figure out a really good three-team trade. Um, after I got done talking on that podcast with uh, with Jeff, with the Dodgers, I'm like, really? We should be talking Indians-Orioles and Dodgers because that would make the most sense because then the Indians can get the help they need and the uh, the Orioles you know kind of how the Indians did with the Bauer deal where you're facilitating players to another spot to get guys to help you now but that's if a trade between the Indians and the Phillies happened, it would basically have to be that same idea and again it's not a super deep miners. they're a team that has to be active in free agency because they don't really have the the internal pieces to go out and make secondary deals they either have to trade for a guy close to the top of the market using you know howard and bomb do have a lot of value and then after them it is not so much so they'll be a team to watch they are in a really rough situation as even the marlins are trying to get better every team in that division is going to be making an attempt you know the nationals won everything last year they're even if they lose all their free agents they are going to come back swinging Um, the, the Braves obviously are going to be out there. The Mets tried to this year, the Marlins are going to sign free agents. So the Phillies are kind of in a, like I said, they're in a rough spot and they've don't have a ton of capital in terms of prospects or depth to go out and make maneuvers. So they're going to have to be active in free agency. We haven't heard too much on them yet. Um, but it'd be something interesting to watch. I, you know, there was points during the year where I tried to figure out a hypothetical Trevor Bauer deal. And if we were to try to figure out something like a hypothetical, lindor or other high-end deal with them the likely piece is scott kingery who they've already got locked up and you know he he was a league average bat worth about three war in center field a year ago um good defender there if you're the indians you'd probably be willing to move him back to second base just because of their own internal needs but you know he is he is their arguably their best trade asset just because when you look at kingery he is locked up through 2026 um, the highest it gets is a $15 million team option, uh, $14 million team option and a $13 million team option. Those are all very reasonable. So he is locked up through his age 32 year. Um, next year he will be his age 26 year. And the fact that he has all of those years of control and he doesn't even hit, uh, you know, uh, 10 million or more dollars until 2024. And at that point, all three of those years are team options. Uh, it's an incredibly team-friendly deal. So there is always the outside chance something could work if there is a world where Kingery is is actually movable. What he did a year ago shows a guy who has value, who has an incredibly team-friendly contract, which is something the Indians are always going to be looking to acquire. I want to thank you all for listening, for dealing with my head cold and my, uh, my voice, which has gotten worse as this podcast has gone on. I'm going to go drink some tea and lie down. I hope you guys have a great Monday. And as always, go tribe.